Hi, and welcome to another season of Among Other Things. I am your host, Trent Ashcraft. We're back this season with even more things to talk about. Today, I am joined by my friend and returning podcast champion, Christopher Maloney, to talk about his new project, the podcast Hooked, which will take an in-depth look at the 1991 Steven Spielberg classic film, Hook. Starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, and a host of others. It's one of my favorite films. It's probably one of your favorite films, if you've got good taste. So, let's talk to Chris. And we're back yet again with a new season with friend of the show, Christopher Malloy. My, my, one of my oldest and most trusted advisors. Chris, it's good to talk to you yet again. Always a pleasure, Trent. You may be. Uh, the only in the long storied history of among other things, Mm -hmm. which releases episodes approximately every 18 months. I believe you are the only podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you're the only three time guest. So, Mm -hmm. wow. That, that puts you in rarefied air, my friend. Dear diary. (laughs) This, the, uh, if we, if I go any longer between releasing episodes of this podcast, I can only assume that I'm going to get the kind of letters that George R. R. Martin received, <laughs> <laughs> demanding that he finish his life's work as well. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no doubt this has as much cultural impact as that story of uh, ice and fire, but John Snow. That's right. But I digress. Chris, you are yep. you were here last time. Uh, I was looking back at the the date. Um I guess about a year ago, you were on uh this beloved podcast to talk about a project you were working on last year, which was a podcast, your first foray into the world of podcasting, I do believe. Um mm-hmm. called uh Knowing Andy Kaufman which was an examination of the life of the enigmatic entertainer, Andy Kaufman. And I have to say, um, big fan of your work, been a big fan for years, but um, I really enjoyed it. it, it uh, I didn't know what to expect going into it, but I, I learned a lot and I have to say, a job well done. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you. Did you... F- Finish it? Did you listen all the way to the end? I listened to it all, man. Oh, okay. Well, good. Uh, then I will accept that compliment. Unless there's some sort of post-credit scene that no. I'm un- unaware of. That's all the rage, you know. You don't, you don't need to stay for the credits. <laughs> no, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and being, I think, I, I know I mentioned this last time, being the uh, fan of, of wrestling in my youth that I was, I really... I really found uh, the amount of wrestling content to be yeah. <laughs> to be exactly what I ordered. Well, I yeah, I've been an Andy Kaufman fan for a very long time, but <clears throat> and and so you can't really be a fan without knowing about his uh, exploits as a wrestler. But I didn't. I don't think I quite realized how much he uh, kind of put wrestling on the trajectory that it is still on now because um you know like 
you and I grew up with wrestling being nationally televised and we all knew like the wrestlers names, but at the time that he was getting into it, that was not, that was not the case. So, and I, I know like he's been um, credited for better or worse with basically bringing back professional wrestling mm. as a national pastime. Um, so he didn't really get to, he didn't live to see the fruits of his labor really, but he would be so happy, I think, to see where wrestling, the, the great heights wrestling has gone to since then. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was only a few years after his passing, I guess that it really did go national. And part of the thing that took it national was the insight that McMahon and others had to bring in mainstream stars to kind of do crossover and in that way he was he was doing that years before the wrestlemanias and and all that um and really was a trailblazer in that way so i would that's not what we're here to talk about today but for our dedicated uh dozens and dozens of listeners if you haven't yet i certainly would encourage you to check out knowing andy kaufman which is available on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm certain you'll find it and you'll enjoy it. And if you enjoy that, then you're no doubt going to enjoy uh, what's coming up next. You sent me a text message a few weeks ago that just had a, an image of the late, great Robin Williams. And it said, hooked. And... Um, <laughs> So this is your next project. Tell us what Hooked is all about. Well, you may find it hard to believe, but this is the 30-year anniversary of the movie Hook coming out. So that was sort of the the impetus of the project. It's always been a favorite of mine, if not my favorite movie. Probably the movie I've watched more than any other. And... um, it's, it's a way to do a, a deep dive into it on the occasion of its, of its milestone anniversary. So it's basically a look into the making of the movie, um, interviews with the people, some people who were in it, some people who were behind the scenes, and trying to figure out uh, why, why it's lasted so long and why, why people love it even more today than they did when it came out. Because I think folks re- forget... Um, because it is kind of a beloved classic now. When it came out, it really wasn't that big of a hit. Uh, the critics didn't like it for the most part. It did okay, but for a, for a Spielberg movie, it definitely underperformed. Um, and then it had these huge stars like Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams and Julia Roberts, who was probably the biggest movie star at the time. And for having that kind of high star caliber, it really did not take the world by storm like I was expected to. So it's kind of, you know, we're the, the VHS generation and it kind of found a second life there. And now that it's available on Netflix um, and our, our kids and kids their ages are finding it. And it's sort of, um, it has this whole new life that it, that it didn't have before. Yeah, I, I don't recall going to see it in the theater. I have no idea if I did. It came out, like you said, in 91. So I would have been six. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe we did, but I do remember watching it at, at, at least on, on VHS, just 
all the time. Right. <laughs> just you'd watch it and you'd rewind it and you'd watch it again. And I think, and I remember um, a friend of a friend of mutual friend of ours uh, had a had a hook sword, a toy sword <laughs> that when you would you'd fight with it, it would make like a clang sound mm-hmm. as if two swords. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest toy I've ever seen in my life. Um, I not only thought that, I thought this is the finest invention man has come <laughs> up with to this point. I, yeah, I had a, I, I, there was a friend of mine who had that and I suddenly wanted to go to his house to play a lot more once mm-hmm. I found out that he had it because it was a really cool to, hook. I think part of the reason why people our age loved it so much is because the merchandise was really good and the, the action figures were really cool. And so in between watching it, you could play with the toys and then it's like you were experiencing hook, even when you weren't watching in that way, in that way, though it was in the nineties, perhaps it was better suited for the eighties because it was a film made uh, maybe unintentionally to uh, no, not exclusively, but to launch an entire merchandise uh, empire. Cause I, I'm the same way as you. When I would go over to my friend's house who had that thing, he'd say, hey, let's play, you know, Nintendo or whatever. And I'd say, oh, I was thinking maybe <laughs> it's not too much trouble. Let's get out the pan sword. Yeah. We could break it and get out the pan sword. So um, for people who don't know, for people who don't know, um, and I, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen Hook, and I, I don't, I don't know what's the matter with you, um, but can you just kind of quickly summarize what, uh, what the plot of that movie was all about? Sure. So uh, it takes place in 1991, which at the time was present day, and we meet this man named Peter Banning, and he is working really hard on like Wall Street or a Wall Street type position. He's this yuppie who's done really well. And in kind of the drive for success, he's uh, lost track of his wife and children. He's not, not, not present with them, not giving them as much time as they would like. And then we find out uh, when they're visiting his wife's grandmother that he apparently was the inspiration for Peter Pan, the story from, from 80 years earlier, and that uh, his wife's grandmother, Wendy, is actually the real Wendy from the Peter Pan story. And so while they're on this trip to London, um, his kids are kidnapped by Captain Hook, and the only way for him to get them back is to go to Neverland, somehow remember that he is Peter Pan, and rescue them from Captain Hook. So with the help of some plucky lost boys and some life-saving mermaids and a, a fast-talking Tinkerbell played by Julia Roberts, he eventually faces his ultimate enemy, uh, Dustin Hoffman's Captain Hook, to save his kids and kind of reclaims this whole life that he was missing out on. Yeah, I. you know, I... I'm sure I was just not, I was just an ignorant child, obviously. But I think I was, 
I must have been a good deal older before I realized that Peter Pan was not <laughs> was not an original Disney creation. Mm. But that 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 cartoon was was taken from a an earlier book. Yeah. Um, well, the play first, actually. A play. So it was a, yeah. it was a play in the early 1900s, and then a few years later, it was James Matthew Barry. He he adapted his own play into a book, and basically, ever since it came out as a play, um, people have been turning it into movie versions in one way or another. It started out there was a silent movie version, and it's interesting because in the play and in the early movies. Um, Automatically, Peter was always played by a girl, by a by a young woman, mm-hmm. and then Peter Pan, the cartoon, was the first time Peter had been actually represented by a male. And then later, um, Robin Williams was only like the second male to play Peter Pan, but it's it plays into the whole, um, like you said, it plays into the whole history of the story, how iconic the story is, and kind of treats it like. It really happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I seem to recall there was a stage show, a musical about uh, a Peter Pan, and I, I seem to remember in in music class in elementary school having to having to watch it and and being thinking, you know, Robin Williams is so much better than this. But yeah, you're probably thinking of Mary Martin. Yes. <laughs> right. I used to watch that one um, every day when I was a kid. Honestly, every day. It was it was from the '60s, mm-hmm. and somehow, like the the VHS version of the '60s play that was broadcast on TV, mm-hmm. it must have been widely circulated because I remember watching it all the time. It's probably one of those deals where they sent it to every music educator. You, they sent him some in the mail that said, fill out this card and you can get it back. Well, this, after I, like when I got more, when, when I got into Hook and then more, like I read the Peter Pan book and such, I thought the Mary Martin version was so lame. I thought like, why, why would you have a woman? <laughs> playing, playing a youthful child yeah. who in the book is supposed to be so young, but he still has all his baby teeth. That didn't seem right to me. It made me somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, I seem to have heard one time, or I may have, may have made this up, which is very possible, that um, maybe it was common to have adults play children uh, because of child labor laws or something yeah. of that nature, that if you're going to do a run of shows, you could not have, unlike the good old days where they'd send the children into the mine, you know, <laughs> When they, we finally came to our senses, they said, "Well, when you've got a main character in a in a play uh, that's an adolescent, you can't have an adolescent." But I don't remember if the Lost Boys were children or or not. Maybe I'll have to go back and give it a watch. Oh, that's a good question. Well, let me see. Yeah, I think um, Michael and John, I think, were actual kids. I believe, but yeah, there's a. There's some behind-the-scenes footage from Hook where uh, Robin Williams is being hoisted up in the harnesses to fly. And he says, I, I can see now why a man has never played this part. 
which is interesting at um at i've been told again at disney world at the end of the night when they have their big fireworks spectacular they have a person in a, in a costume come in like on a zip line playing tinkerbell mm-hmm. and and tink comes and kind of does them pixie dust stuff and then uh fireworks i have always heard that because of a weight limit they it's that's generally a man that uh that if you were too light for the for the thing uh mm-hmm. that it <laughs> tinkerbell would not be able to get out of there or whatever <laughs> the device would not work so have you seen this in person yeah mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah you just can't you can't tell from a distance because it's just mm-hmm. a they're flying through the sky you know right um so you know maybe maybe it has something to do with harnesses i don't know but all that to say coming back to to hook um what you mentioned that you think that that it kind of found a second life with uh with the audience at that time even if it didn't do great in the in the box office and people i know people of my generation i'm i'm 36 so i would have been six when it came out mm-hmm. um folks that are my age seem to talk very, talk about it fondly the way that people maybe a few years older than us, maybe 10 or eight or 10 years older than us might talk about, I don't know, like the Goonies <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or the never ending story or any of those things my older brother made me, made me watch. What do you think it is about that movie in particular that resonated so much with with kids outside of the merchandise because obviously we were not we were not well versed in the play in the book and all of those things well i think part of it was uh sort of a by watching hook when you were a kid you were seeing what you would do if you had wish fulfillment i mean if if it were up to you and you could live in neverland i mean like they brought they brought the lost boys in neverland up to like a present day, like the Lost Boys were more punky and they like rode skateboards and they had no parental supervision. Um, I think that was part of it, what we liked as kids and obviously all the colors and the sword fighting and things like that. I think that's what we responded to when we were kids, but also um, that was really one of the last movies to have this like fantasy environment that they couldn't use CGI to recreate. Yeah. Because CGI wasn't really, it wasn't really uh, being used that often at the, at the time. So that same year, for example, um, Terminator two came out and some of the advances of uh, CGI that IL that industrial light and magic did for the, character T-1000 and that was groundbreaking and it was like a painstaking process but that was just one character so the thought of being able to use that process to make a whole environment was unheard of back then so to make Neverland they had to actually physically build it all so it had to be designed and then constructed by carpenters and craftsmen so I think when you're a kid and you see things that are tangible that you could actually you know, subconsciously, you you know that you could like step foot on those versions of Neverland. 
So if you watch like Avatar now or the, the Lord of the Rings movies, that, that's largely, if not totally, digital environments. So even though we enjoy them, we kind of enjoy them in a different way because we, we know that you couldn't reach out and touch it. But this Neverland, you could. In fact, it was such a word got out about how elaborate the sets were that it became like a tourist attraction for, for VIPs, movie stars. It was common for very famous people to get access to the lot and just be taken on tours of it because it was so breathtaking. So like, I did an interview with somebody. He was Robin Williams' stand-in for the movie. And that was his job sometimes when there was downtime, like Janet Jackson showed up and he was supposed to take her on a tour of Neverland. Penny Marshall showed up and took her on a tour of Neverland. Warren Beatty, Susan Sarandon, uh, and then they were all bringing their kids to see it. So I think that's probably part of it is that when we saw it, we saw like a giant playground that we could imagine playing on. And I think that's why we kept going back to it, at least back then. Yeah, you think if Janet Jackson wanted to go to Neverland, she could just go visit her brother. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he'd rebuilt the whole thing. Um, I think Spielberg's was far less horrifying. <laughs> that may that may be true. Um, uh, you mentioned that the Lost Boys were updated and they were cool. Mm-hmm. Well, there was nobody cooler, I think, in all of film from my childhood than the character of Rufio. Oh, definitely. That. Yeah which I don't, I don't, again, I've never read the Peter Pan books. I don't know. Was he a, an original creation for this no. movie or had he no, been around? Close. No, no. Uh, in fact, even when the script was written, I believe his name was Ziggy and he was, uh, he was, Ziggy. He, he had a, yeah, his name was <laughs> Ziggy and he had a Jamaican accent. Oh no. So oh, somehow, no. <laughs> somehow that got translated eventually into Rufio with the, with the pink or the red and black hair. And um, no, actually the, in the book, Peter Pan, there are six lost boys and they're all presumably, you know, little English boys. Mm-hmm. And the, the cool thing that Hook did was that, first of all, there are way more lost boys, but it shows that they're from all walks of life. I mean, it's a very diverse group of lost boys. Mm-hmm. So that had never really been done. In fact, there were some, uh, there was some outcry from, I guess, literature purists who were upset that Spielberg had taken such licenses and introduced like uh, black people to Neverland. I guess <laughs> because you know, it, traditionally it was thought to be just you know Peter Pan is white and all the Lost Boys are white and mm-hmm. uh, other than the uh, offensive. Uh, Native Americans. <laughs> yeah, correct. They're portrayed. Well, so, <laughs> they're often portrayed by white people anyway. Most of that's very true. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a diverse group of, of kids mm-hmm. from different, uh, like different times of history, you can tell. So, uh, yeah. I can't imagine. Ziggy. Isn't that Ziggy. that little cartoon, that little comic there, strip? A com- there's a comic strip yeah Um, acerbic wit can be found in spades in the comic strip ziggy oh man that would have ruined the film 
of a Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad they, I know they, <laughs> they modernized it in many ways, <laughs> but not doing that was one of them. Right. So um, there's some iconic Lost Boys. In addition to Rufio, there's, uh, there's Thud, Thud Butt. Is that? <laughs> yes. That's one. Yeah. Listen, I want to get the names correct. There's yeah. Thud Butt. Uh, there's the twins. Okay. I don't. I don't remember all their names, but they didn't have names. I don't. I, okay. I don't believe. Well, even in the there were twins in the original Lost Boys from the mm-hmm. book, and they were just called twins. Okay. So, did you get the chance to to uh, speak to any of the actors I did. Uh, who portrayed those when making your podcast? Yes, you'll probably remember um, the smallest Lost Boy. His name is um, No Nap, and he's the one who blows out the the lantern and says "Good night, Neverland." Mm-hmm. So I talked to him. Um, he was the youngest and the smallest in the story, but also like on the set. And he was there for about seven months on the set of Neverland. He had his seventh birthday there, and became really good friends with Robin Williams. Actually, all the boys said they did. Um, became really close with Robin. But yeah, I talked to him about that experience and, you know, he didn't even know, um, I mean, he didn't really grasp who Steven Spielberg was or who Robin Williams was to him. It was like, he was on this huge playground for yeah. half a year and it was just fun. He has really fun memories. There was, I guess there was like a, a very limited edition um, action figure made of him that his, that he has somewhere and it was just, uh, yeah, it's it's the kind of experience that all of us around this age probably envy him for. I hope he's getting uh, residuals, royalties for that uh, <laughs> that action figure, if it exists somewhere. The interesting thing about the Lost Boys is that in the movie, so Rufio's name is mentioned, of course, and... Thudbutt's name is, men- is mentioned. In fact, he shouts it when he turns into a ball for some reason <laughs> and, and rolls down a plank into a pirate played by David Crosby. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. <laughs> He's the... Yeah, David Crosby. There, there are several... Another weird thing about Hook is that there are lots of uncalled for cameos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David Crosby has... I believe he's supposed to be a musician pirate because he's usually holding an accordion. He he doesn't have any. He never engages in in uh, swordplay or anything, but he still gets it good from from Thudbutt. Um, actually, no, he doesn't roll into him. But he he rolls down the plank a couple times. I think mm-hmm. David Crosby meets his end because he's standing in the wrong place at the wrong time, and Thudbutt uses his heft to slam down on a plank yeah <laughs> the other end is david effect. crosby in the crotch yeah <laughs> <laughs> as a kid I always found it odd that uh that the 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 pirates have like swords and guns mm-hmm. and we <laughs> see people we see people in the film be shot be yeah. stabbed mm-hmm. be attacked with uh, scorpions yeah. but then the lost right. boys show up with essentially paintballs Mar- and, well, marbles yeah marbles and eggs, eggs. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> somehow it, they they defeat the pirates who are there to kill them which yeah. is a horrifying thought they were very outmatched 
<laughs> it was like a, it was a sort of a, a biblical story from the Old Testament in a way. When the, the lost boys, they were, uh, they were outmatched, um, outgunned in a way, but they, yeah, showed up with a chicken up on top of a contraption that see, I, I guess sucked the eggs out of the nest and oh. shot them at pirates' faces. Yes. I hope out of the nest and not out of the chicken itself. <laughs> and yeah. And then tomatoes. Yeah. They had um, tomato slingshots and then a bunch of marbles that made the, the pirates all fall and get hurt. <laughs> apparently, and they could never get up. Apparently. Right. After they fell down, they were defeated and they could move on to the next, the next. Person. Yeah. Well, I interviewed a man who played one of the pirates and he said that, you know, he, there was like, um, there was a lot more that they filmed where the sword play was more intense, I guess, mm -hmm. and where the battle was more intense. But then it ended up getting left out uh, in favor of like more kid-friendly stuff. So there were a couple different ways Hook could have turned out. One thing that, I, that we talk about pretty, in a pretty detailed way is that um, the... Hook was going to be at one point a musical. Mm -hmm. So they even filmed some musical sequences and several songs were written for the movie. And after all that, after all the, after they filmed these big elaborate sequences with the songs, um, Spielberg looked at it and kind of chickened out and said, we, I can't, I can't do a musical. So, that's uh, it sort of makes sense like hook is such a, an elaborate production it looks like an old musical from the 60s in a way with all the characters and all the enormous sets and when you know that it was intended to be a musical at one point it sort of makes sense so somewhere there are about six or seven songs floating around that you know very few people have heard but they exist somewhere um and in one of the episodes, I, I have a, a demo of one of those songs that was, it, it's better if you, you don't want to know how I got it. Uh, the, the less you know, the better, believe me. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Right. But there, but people who are interested in that aspect of the production of Hook, they'll get to hear a little sampling of what it might've sounded like if it were a musical. Yeah. Cool. Well, speaking of, maybe that David Crosby would have had more to do. <laughs> that's why he was there yeah. speaking of uh of pirates uh dustin hoffman is portrays captain hook um and uh for for my money when i think of captain hook i don't think of the the animated 1950s uh disney version running yeah. away from the tiktok croc I don't think mm -hmm. of that that offensive uh, portrayal by Christopher Walken on an NBC <laughs> special a few years ago. <laughs> to me, to me, uh, 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 Dustin Hoffman is Hook. Yeah, I agree and, with that. And Bob Bob ha Haskins is Haskins. Uh, yeah, yeah, is uh, is Smee. That mm -hmm. to me is that in my memory. They he breathed such a new 
flamboyant, eccentric, uh, just loads of fun into that Mm -hmm. character. Yeah. uh, Apparently, uh, there's a rumor that part of the portrayal of Captain Hook from Dustin Hoffman was based on William F. Buckley. I don't know. Do you know who that is? Is he a musician? No, no, no. Uh, you're thinking of Jeff Buckley, I think. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, William F. Buckley <laughs> was a very outspoken um, conservative personality oh, who would appear yes, on yes, like, yes. Dick Cavett and so yes. forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here, at, at this point in your podcast, you include like a little soundbite of William F. Buckley saying something. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow. I'll then, work on that. <laughs> um, the budget isn't quite as big. Yeah. Well, I, I remember at the time, I don't know. I, I can't remember if it was my parents or some of their friends. I remember hearing some adults in my life talking about how they couldn't believe that was Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. because it, it really doesn't look like him. I mean, he kind of disappears behind the makeup and the wig and the costume, but uh, yeah, for my money also, that's the best to me, there's not a better portrayal of Captain Hook than that. And if when I've gone back and read the book uh, to my kids, it's it's the, I imagine Dustin Hoffman is Captain Hook. And certainly with, with Peter Pan, the, the casting of Robin Williams, um, who, when you talk about a, a, a grown man, if, if you needed a grown man to portray someone who was childlike mm-hmm. in their excitement, um, I can think of no one better uh, than Robin Williams. And it's not, for those who haven't seen it, it's not, this is not a comedic film. There's, there's funny parts to it, but it's right. not a laugh a minute, uh, zany Robin Williams film. It's one of his, for a film about Neverland, it's one of his more grounded roles. Uh, yeah. and, yet, and yet he can transition so well from the serious workaholic dad to the, oh my gosh, I'm Peter Pan and I can fly. Looky, looky, I got hooky. These sort of things. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of Robin Williams' best performances. He kind of hit, he, it was a nice balance. He had, he's done some very just straight dramatic work. And then obviously this his comedic work, but this was a nice balance of kind of who he was. Um, the screenwriter, who's who's interviewed pretty heavily in the in the first episode, he James Hart, he said Robin Williams was his dream choice for for Peter Pan when he wrote it, and that he ended up doing it was just unbelievable. But yeah, I think um, yeah I. I I think Robin Williams was the right choice. And uh, he, it's been said about him before, actually, kind of what you, you're touching on is that when, when he's in a story that requires you to, to believe the unbelievable, for some reason, he's the one that can get you there. Because he, he was, a few years later, he was in a movie called What, um, what Dreams May Come, where he, he dies and he goes through heaven and hell literally to try and rescue his wife. And he's, 
it, it, the whole movie is set in the afterlife and somehow with him at the helm of it you're following and you can kind of believe what you're seeing it's a really special quality that um very few have and i felt the same way about mrs doubtfire i <laughs> said know? i believed that was an old a, <laughs> older a english year lady. old woman yeah yeah that's great that's true i mean like he doesn't like there are some actors i guess who they're in a movie that they know is outlandish and they're sort of winking at the camera the whole time mm-hmm. uh, figuratively but hey i don't think i felt like he never did that he always played it pretty like he like he it seemed as though he believed the world that he was in whether he was peter banning you know missing his son's baseball game or Peter Pan facing down Captain Hook in Neverland. Yeah, I think he's the perfect Peter Pan, which is why, you know, everyone I've spoken to who crossed paths with Robin Williams, even like the extras from the movie who only briefly talked to him, if at all, they were all deeply affected by him. Just seeing his, just seeing him work, hearing his mind at work, um, so I think I, I don't think that we'll see the likes of him again. Well, Chris, I am I can't wait to to listen to the podcast. When can people expect to be able to smash that subscribe and uh, and check out Hooked? Hooked, yes. Uh, Thanksgiving. So just like when it came out, this holiday season is when you can find it. So uh, Thanksgiving, it should be available everywhere. It's, it will be a five-part uh, podcast, and we'll cover just about everything. And if people want to learn more uh, about Hooked or Knowing Andy Kaufman or any of your other uh, podcasts or films, where can, they, where can they find out more information about you and your work online? Uh, you can go to ChristopherAllenMaloney.com or um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, I always post things about whatever new uh, podcast installments are coming out. There you go. Your one-stop shop. There you go for all things. All things Christopher Maloney. That's well, right. Chris, my friend, thanks so much for hanging out and talking about um, one of your favorite films, one of my favorite films, and I think uh, one of the films that's a, a bit of a classic for a lot of people around our age, which is which is the Steven Spielberg classic, Hook. So thanks so much for joining us on Among Other Things. Thank you.